Welcome to the Health Admin Life Podcast. My name is Brooke, and I'm going to interview special guests to explore the vast career opportunities in health administration. Whether you're a clinical professional, a corporate worker, a student, or a patient yourself, this podcast is for everyone. Get ready to be inspired. Hello, current and future healthcare leaders. Welcome to the Health Admin Life Podcast. My name is Brooke, and today I'd like to welcome Charles Bryce, home health hospice and personal care non-skilled CEO for Charlotte Health Services. Charles, can you tell me um, a little bit more about who you are? Oh, yeah. So thanks, Brooke, for having me. Um, so my name is Charles. Um, I'm a former D1 athlete, um, clinician by trade, went to physical therapy school, and now I oversee a healthcare company here in Dallas. Uh, I got two kids. Uh, one is three and the other one's five. And uh, my wife, we've been married for ooh, almost nine years now. So uh really busy um and love what i do um healthcare is crazy and i always wanted to be specifically a clinician never really saw myself in business uh i love being at the bedside and uh stumbled upon this about oof, since the, in 2016 and uh just now i'm doing leadership and not clinical bedside anymore so but it's fun i love it it's a lot of work but it's fun <laughs> That's wonderful. And I'm glad you were able to find this route. And I think a lot of our listeners would love to know exactly what your position entails. Um, I know you're going into something a little different than most people, especially with your own company. Yeah, yeah. So um, for me, I think it's the route is it was really unconventional. So, um, you know, I went to school as a therapist. Um, Then I worked at a hospital, regional hospital for a while. And um, this position came up and I was like, not sure if I really want to do this, um, but I really kind of understood that um, you can still take care of people, but now you just have to take care of people from a higher level and make sure everyone's taking care of patients. And so uh, it's not like a really traditional role. Um, it's, it's a little bit different. So this, this specific company, it's a family-owned, faith-based. Uh, they've been around for about 20 years. And I used to work every once in a while in high school when I was here in Dallas, I used to shred paper. So I just got to know the company for a while. And uh, over the course of several years, um, just got to know them. And so I went to college and they were like, hey, there's a clinical administrator position open. I think you would be a great fit. And I was like, well, I'm not sure. Um, and so interviewed and, and got the job. And so, I mean, it's really, that's really what it is. It's, it's, uh, it was a, it was a God thing, if I want to say it like that. So, um, and for me, uh, it was a challenge uh, going from taking care of patients and having just a couple of, at health information background was my minor. So I had HIM was my minor, uh, but mostly it was all clinicals. And so um, being able to now be thrown into a financial ro- uh, world, going through regulations, understanding compliance, uh, monitoring cash flow from insurances and and combating with Medicare and, and trying to figure out all these things. It was uh, it was a lot. And so, uh, but it, you know, it took a while, uh, but I love it. And it's not, you're not your normal conventional role, but it's, it's, if you're built for it, you can really, you can really help a lot of people and do a great, great job. So. That's fantastic. And I think having that clinical background can help diversify your perspective and can relate to other clinicians, help relate to patients and other staff more, which is great. Um, Another question specifically with the company is, how did you get started in home health or how did that company begin? 
Yeah, so uh, back in the 90s, uh, my mom and a few people uh, uh, kind of got together and said they wanted to start a business uh, that specifically was uh, tailored towards uh, not selling. So the climate back then and even now is that a lot of home health and hospices will build up and then they'll sell because it can be really lucrative. Uh, unfortunately, when that happens, the culture changes. Uh, the care changes, and a lot of times you have someone who's coming in probably not from the same area or same city, and they're kind of enforcing, you know, business um, ideals, which is good, but it's not tailored to the community, and so it kind of takes takes back and it hurts the patient. So uh, she wanted to start something where it was a legacy company, so uh, uh, where basically uh, someone who was in administration would have clinical background, uh, they would be trained. And uh, it's a trust so that it could not be sold, uh, which is nice. And so um, very, very different. It, it allows for stability in our clinicians. It allows for stability uh, in our patients, knowing that as long as I have breath, I'm going to be running it. And then the next person that's going to be after me is going to, they're going to have the training. They're going to have to be a clinician. They're going to have to understand the core values of our company and then we have kind of like a Supreme Court, like a board that's like, okay, this is the next person that's gonna that's gonna take over, and it's just healthy, and so very different, uh, very, uh, but it's it, it is a beautiful thing. So that's kind of how I got started. That's uh, that's wonderful, and I appreciate you sharing that awesome story. Yeah. And with this, you're in the long term care sector, correct? Correct, correct, yes. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily know like the different realms within, can you explain yeah. those a little more? Yes. So there's, there's so many different areas of healthcare um, that you've got, you know, pediatric, right. Which is uh, younger than 18 years old. And you've got adult in general, then you've got, you know, pharmacology, you've got different areas. The long-term care and is really focusing on the geriatric population. Um, geriatric, it, it ranges. It's usually anywhere between 45 and older. Uh, Medicare looks at the geriatric population at age 65. And once you hit 65, you, you are qualified for Medicare services and you go from there all the way until end of life. And so when you're looking at long-term care, it's really focusing on, okay, what is it? How do I care for this person uh, from that kind of age 45 and moving forward and really project and figure out ways to take care of, uh, of that case mix or that population. Uh, so it's really focused on um, Medicare, geriatric, you've probably heard of geriatrics, really adult care, older adult care. Um, and so there's a lot of terms, uh, but long-term, when you really look, think about that, it's just planning to take care of you as you age long-term. So. Oh, and can you explain the difference between palliative care and hospice? Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. There's like so many um, differences between the two. Um, so I'll break down kind of the, the two things that we, I usually like to kind of liken it to. Um, so palliative care, the word palliative care is really about um, an approach, a way of taking care of someone. And so that approach is really long-term, making sure that they're comfortable. Uh, and so you're trying to figure out how do I tailor to the needs of that person? So let's just say, give an example, say for instance, you've got an aunt, right, who is uh, maybe 70 years old, and unfortunately they got diagnosed with cancer, right? Um, so there's two ways you could care for this, your aunt. You could either say, okay, we want to go the chemo route, we want to fight, we want to do whatever we can, and that's where palliative care would come in, 
right, to come in and say, okay, let's figure out a way to keep them comfortable, not too much pain, and keep them going on chemo and, and move forward. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach. Hospice care means, okay, we've kind of got it to where you probably not only have six months or less to live based on how the disease is, is treating your body. And then hospice comes in and says, okay, we're not going to use chemo anymore. We've kind of exhausted everything we can. Uh, let's try to figure out a way to keep you comfortable. So let's, let's bring you home. Uh, let's, what are your wishes? Okay. You want to hang out with your, with your nieces and nephews more. Okay. Let's get them over here. Let's hang out. Okay. Now we got a nurse that's coming in consistently to kind of manage and help you through this process. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a different approach. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's hard, but it is, it is good at the same time. So. Thank you for sharing. How long have you been in the industry for? Uh, so, um, I graduated in 2013 and then I went straight into the hospital system to work, um, on the physical therapy floor, ortho. Um, so since 2013, as a clinician, did that for a few years. Uh, but as an administrator, um, it's going to be year seven. So great. Already. And what? It's crazy. <laughs> I know time sure does fly. And what I guess both sides. What made you interested in being a clinician? And then what made you transition, or what made you interested in going into more like the administrator side? Yeah. That's a great, great, um, great question. So when I was in high school, I'll go back to high school. Um, uh, I love sports, love soccer. Um, I played soccer in high school. Then um, I wanted to, I was like trying to figure out what do I want to do in college? I was like, eh. you know, I love sports. Um, I'll, you know, don't want to be a doctor because it's a long, a lot of school. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure if I want to do all that. Um, so I found a program that focused on, um, therapy, physical therapy. And I was like, well, I could do sports and, and do that. So I, um, took care of my grandpa also when I was in high school and I had a passion for the geriatric popula population just because it's my grandpa. He always taught me a lot of wise things and he was a diabetic. So I would help him with his blood sugars in the morning, then go to school, right. And then come back, check his mm -hmm. blood sugars at night before I went to bed. And so it just became like a routine and I just was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. You know, so um, went to school, went to college, played soccer there, uh, did physical therapy. And then I was like, I don't, I kind of want to keep going towards the geriatric route. I mean, I just, I, I've done sports my whole life. And I was like, I feel like I just, I mean, I love old people. I don't know why. I just think it's fun, you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, so I started doing that and then um, met my wife while she was a nurse. I was a PT. She had a passion for the geriatric population and I did too. And that kind of took us from there. And then we started working at a hospital uh, once I graduated together. So she was a nurse on the floor and I was a, a therapist on the floor. And we just started taking care of people with knees and hips problems and um, surgeries. And, and that's kind of how I started on the clinical side. Um, the admin side, I really, um, I really stumbled upon it. Like, you know, I, I was actually really and truly... Um, I was going to the doctorate program of my physical therapy and wanted to keep going. And I, you know, did my GRE, did everything after, as a practicing clinician and tried to apply and I didn't get into those programs. I was like, man, what's going on? And, and then that opportunity opened up in, uh, in Dallas for that clinical administrator. And I was like, 
asked my wife, she's like, hey, what do you think? And she was like, go ahead, try. You know, like, I mean, we can go to, from St. Louis, go to Dallas and start a family. And then, um, you know, it's a great place to live. And that's how we got started. Uh, very, very, I mean, it was truly, I, I went from, because back then I think like what, I was like 28, I guess, 27. And overseeing like people who were like three, two times my age, three times my age. I mean, I was very insecure. I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, uh, I just know I know clinicals really well. So mm-hmm. really humbling, um, a lot to learn, I had good mentors around me to kind of help me along the way. Um, but uh, very, very different when you're going from clinicals straight to um, uh, healthcare admin. So, you know, any, any, any advice I could offer people, you know, I would love to help. So. I think it's great um, to really see how one door closed, but you took that opportunity when one door opened and you didn't necessarily give up. And I think that's the beauty of healthcare. There's so many different opportunities um, and both sides can be so rewarding and ultimately impact patients, whether you're helping them directly or indirectly, which is nice. Um, Another question I had is you mentioned working with a spouse. And I've met a few people that have done that in healthcare and I find it more common than I really thought it would be. Do you have any advice, um, working with a spouse or work-life balance or both? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So it's funny because like (laughs) not everybody can work with their spouse to be honest. Um, but for us, like we, that's kind of all we knew. So it was different for us. We went to school together. So um, we both studied in study hall together in the library annex, right? So I would say like, hey, you're studying for anatomy and physiology. I'm studying it too. Sweet, let's study together, right? So yeah. it was a relationship that was built even when we were dating. Uh, so I think one of the, the biggest things that me and my wife have is a respect factor. Um, so what I mean by that is healthcare is stressful. Uh, and so we both have an understanding that if we're frustrated, it's not because we're frustrated with one another at work. It's because we're frustrated with probably the situation that's happening. Um, and then because of that, we we know that we're not gonna like cause each other to, to, to be upset, right? Or, or take that out on each other. And so I think that's a really key piece. Uh, one of the things that we've done over the last uh, nine years is that every month we always take a hotel stay um, in in the area and so we'll say okay hey let's stay at the courtyard marriott for 100 bucks or let's go to a, the west end and we always do that just to reset and to have one night away from the kids um and just do that because it allows us to to kind of like come together and say hey how did the month go how's everything going let's grab a bite to eat let's be refreshed because it's in healthcare. it's crazy um that's been a blessing for us and we got that from um, a mentor of ours that was like married, that's been married for 45 years and they've been doing that for years and it's helped them to take care of themselves, uh, as a married couple. And then also to, to push the reset button every month. So we do that without fail, which helps us to be uh, really healthy in work because we have a good outside of work, you know, marriage. So it's just, it just takes a lot of work, but intentionality behind it. So. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, Next, next question I would say is what is your favorite thing about working in healthcare? Mm, uh, I think, man, I I love talking to patients. I just love, um, 
I love being able to say there's a problem and our team has looked at the problem, addressed the problem and found an outcome and a solution. And then hearing the patient afterwards saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much for your help. Thank you for, you know, being a great, you know, um, a great company that I could trust. And, um, you know, I think, you know, because we do home health and hospice, it's a knee replacement or hip replacement. They had surgery. They were really scared and freaked out before surgery. And our team educated them on pre-op. Did a great job from nursing and therapy all the way through. And at the end, they discharged and graduated from home health. And I pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, you're done. We probably won't see you again. And then they're excited. You know, so those are things that love to hear. At end of life, it's, it's a little bit different. It's them, the families being scared of hospice and us walking them through it um, and then helping them slowly uh, progress and say, hey, this is normal. This is normal. And then that loved one pass away. And then they call after and say, thank you for being here with me through this turbulent time. And it was such a great experience. So I think those are the those are the joys that really, to me, make the pain <laughs> of healthcare um, really sweet. So, And I would say you really are not only changing lives, but at the same time, I would say saving lives because you're not just helping the patient into a second life or wherever they're going, but you're helping the families. So I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah. Um, for the next question, do you have any insights for aspiring leaders going into health admin? Yes. Um, one of the things that, um, that we've kind of mentioned before is it's, it does when you, when you have never been at the bedside with a patient, um, it depends on the area, right? We talked about this earlier. It depends on the area of healthcare that you're going into, right? So uh, if you're going into healthcare management for, for billing and remittances, right, uh, you may never see a patient, right? Um, but the thing is, is that if you can shadow a nurse or shadow uh, in a nursing facility and just get interaction uh, with a patient and understand that everything that you're doing literally everything you're doing, whether it's the back office authorizations for claims or um, stocking supplies, right? In a warehouse, everything is meant for that patient. And so I would advise um, high schoolers, anyone who's in college or master's programs, if you've never shadowed and there's nursing homes down the street everywhere, you can literally yes. go by and say, hey, you know, stop by and say, hey, I, you know what? I'm going to shadow at least four hours this, each week and just get to know. Let me sit with Miss Betty in room 205 and just talk with her, right? And Or it could be on the flip side. You go to a, um, a pediatric clinic, right? And, and you know, it, I would say just figure out ways to, 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 to be at the bedside because um, you have to realize that's where, that's what healthcare is all about. It was meant for patients. And whether you're in any realm of healthcare administration, you cannot detach yourself from that uh, no. because that's what it's all about. So, And that made me think of a story. And yeah. um, during COVID, I actually volunteered at a nursing home. I wrote letters for patients there, but I came in contact um, my specific um, patient. She was 102. Oh, and awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. She, she couldn't leave her room, but at least I could write her every week. She, she technically lived in my neighborhood. I just couldn't go see her. So at least that was a small way I could help and volunteer and give yeah. back. 
And it helped me see another side of healthcare that I haven't been exposed to. So it was really cool. Even though I didn't specifically shadow, I got that opportunity to connect on a different way. And I stress to people, if you have the opportunity to volunteer, whether it's at your local nursing home, local hospital, even just any capacity, this can really get your foot in the door because I could have, if I really wanted to, I could have asked for a job there because they were really familiar with me. Um, And not only that, you can also find your passion or gain a better understanding or appreciation for the industry and staff. Right. I agree. Because like one of the biggest things is like, if you're, if you say, okay, I want to do this specific realm of healthcare and you, you don't actually go and volunteer a shadow and be in there. It's like, oh, wow, this is great. Then like, you don't know, you may be down the road getting your master's and, and then you're going into like, oh my gosh, I never really wanted to do this. Right. Exactly. And so like, yeah. if you're able to do that on the front end, then it, uh, I agree. It helps totally. It helps so much. Exactly. If there was one thing you could improve in the healthcare delivery system, what would it be? Mm, I guess that's a really good, it's a complicated question um, because, uh, so my background is, I'm, uh, so my family, I'm first generation uh, American and so my family's from Africa. And so like I have cousins and everyone back in Nigeria and I see a lot of the bad stuff of healthcare, right? And so one of the things I, I always stress is that healthcare here is still really, really, really good compared to other places, right? I mean, that's just, that's just the truth. I mean, it's seeing from my, like, you know, my cousin had a seizure in Nigeria and almost died just from a basic seizure, right? In the hospital, because I didn't have enough um, supplies, electricity, things like that. So I, I, I think it's, it's also being grateful for the current system that we live in, uh, because it is a great system. Um, it's, got its flaws like everything else but i think it's it's really important to kind of keep that in perspective when you do co- go to different parts of the world um with that said being in this industry and understanding it for a while i think there is a um i think that the, the payer system just has to get a little bit better um and it has to be um done at a way that's advantageous uh for the patient and for the people who are caring for the patient and so I think I would say, like, I was looking at the rates recently, and I think that 7.1% is the inflation rate for November of 2022, um, and which is crazy. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I give you examples that we have a contract with United Healthcare, and, you know, great, love, you know, thank you for the contract. But the problem is, is that they haven't adjusted those rates based on inflation. And so it's the same rates from 20, 2009 today is the wow. same rate. So the problem is, is that what we have to do as healthcare administrators, we have to figure out ways to create different margin, figure out, be really cost effective because that rate has not changed in 2009 and it's just what it is. Mm -hmm. And so those are ways that I think there's gotta be different ways to offset that, um, to make sure that those are, those can be adjusted for patient care. So. I completely agree. And I think there are so many wonderful benefits and comparing our system to other countries, there's so many different models, whether you can say um, it's the national social XYZ model, but also looking at our fee for service and trying to transition into value-based care. Like what are the drivers? And it's like, okay, yes, I think insurance companies have a big say in how much take home they have and how much they're paying um, employers. But at the same time, I also look, what are the root causes? Because 
there's so many, many factors that go into it. And recently, I think this just has been on my mind that I learned this week that there was a $3.5 million drug called Hemgenix um, mm-hmm. that was approved by the FDA recently for hemophilia, hemophilia B patients. And it's an important drug, but if the patient doesn't pay for it, insurance does. But what happens is that eventually, once that that is actually paid for by insurance, it it goes and dispersed to everyone. So that that is something to consider moving in the future. It's like, it's not sustainable. So what is the answer? And there's so many, so many factors, but that was just something that was on my mind. Do you think there is a solution to this or even in general, any payer models or any suggestions? Yeah. So I was talking to, we quarterly, we meet with our, all of our medical directors. And so uh, we have like uh, four strong medical directors that I meet with that oversee the company. And so we had like a dinner uh, quarterly, we had a dinner and we were just talking because they're just well first. They've been doing healthcare for years. And so I was picking their brain on that because I was just curious. And one of the things that they said was that um, the, the problem is that the before, you know, back in the 80s, doctors really had a lot of autonomy. And so they really dictated how healthcare was supposed to be done, you know, the right way. And so uh, what they saw was that once those payers came in, it allowed for advances in healthcare, the technology, and with those advances, it's really expensive, right? But the problem is, is that they, they kind of pushed the doctors aside and kind of used more of uh, non-clinical judgments to kind of move and push forward in terms of payer mixes and things like that. And so they were saying, you know, as a doc, the doctor's union, I think it's AMA, and they were saying that it's, it's, it's allowed, it hasn't allowed them to have a voice as much. And so because of that, there's a disparity in healthcare and, and also them not getting paid as much by the insurances. So I was just talking, I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. And I think really and truly there just has to be um, avenues for voices to speak up, right? Mm-hmm. So nurses to speak up more and that's the beautiful thing about social media and just even this podcast it's just awareness right so by me having that conversation with our doctors i was like oh my gosh i had no idea like this is what all doctors are going through they're not getting paid enough they're not in the 80s they were making a whole bunch because they were the ones that could kind of dictate but not in a, not in a bad way but figure out the way to do it but now i was talking to one of our uh, internal medicine doctors they were like for me to take to for me to get reimbursed for me to take care of this patient, I have to see, back in the day, I used to only have to see two people and get paid enough. Now they have to see 10 people, like just to get enough revenue to meet the cost of what it was in the bat in the past of just two patients. So that's why you see that doctors are running through things because it's, they're not able to slow down and take care of those patients. So one of the doctors were saying that they flipped over to a concierge medicine practice because now the patient would pay cash, you know, like a, like a retainer fee and say, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to pay you, I don't know, 150 bucks a month. This is just an estimate, right? Now you have time. And now the doctor can spend more time with that patient and they don't have to worry about doing those things. So there's so many different ways, yeah, but I really is. do think it's just awareness. So, and I, I agree. I think it's awareness, it's education and it's highlighting things like there's so many people in the U S that don't have healthcare insurance. And then once they go to the ER, they can't afford it, then the hospital has to pay it, then that could also run up insurance premiums, XYZ in the long term. Um, 
And there's no easy answers. There really aren't because now that even if you have insurance, you can't necessarily use it because it's so expensive and your deductibles, your co-pays, co-insurance. So I hope there's a solution um, sooner than later. But um, before ending the podcast, I just want to say this has been wonderful. And I thank you so much for being guest speaker. Is there a way that listeners can stay connected with you after the show, Charles? Yeah, sure. Um, I um, I tried to do TikTok and I just started doing that recently. Uh, it's Chats with Charles and I just talk about uh, my experience as a healthcare administrator, um, things that we've talked about. Um, so you could look up Chats uh, with Charles on uh, TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. And uh, yeah, I think um, I think the really the biggest thing like we just talked about is just the awareness, um, just educating empowering the next generation of healthcare administrators, healthcare workers to be passionate about what they do, because that's, that's how change can happen is if the next generation is really passionate about figuring out a way to help patients and change the system, that's the only way it can happen. So. I completely agree. And on that note, I want to thank everyone for listening. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsors, Riverside and Anchor by Spotify. To listen to more episodes, check out the link in my bio at Health Admin Life on TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube.